Hi, friends. Oh, good to be here. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> um, tonight we are talking about sin and holiness, um, which is quite the heavy topic. It'll be fun. Um, I thought I'd start out um, just sharing a funny story that happened today. Um, two weeks ago on Wednesday, when we were cleaning up from the chili cook-off, we found this roll of papers among all of our stuff. And we were like, what's this? I don't know. So we took it. And then as I was putting it into the storage at Foothills, I discovered it was a bunch of blueprints that were like left on a bench at Everyday Joe's and were like super important. Like, whoa, this is really bad. <laughs> um, and then through a series of events, I discovered that they're Connors from Everyday Joe's. And he texted me and he was like, hey, could you bring those to me in the next 30 minutes today? So I was like, oof, I'm really scared because <laughs> that's important. And so I felt like honestly scared to go to him and be like, oh, Connor, I'm so sorry. We took these really important things. And when I got there, he, he like hung up the phone. I think he was talking to his wife and he was like, I have to hear this story. And so he like listened to my story and he was like laughing. And then when I left, he was like, you want to freak up a coffee? And I was like, Connor, I'm the one who wronged you and you're giving me a coffee. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just wanted to start that with the story, um, because I think that, um, yeah, that can help us to walk into this conversation about sin, um, because we may think that God is um, really terrifying to approach with our wrongs, um, but he's as welcoming and more welcoming than Connor was to me today, um, and he just showers us with blessing when we approach him. Um, so with that, let's talk about sin. Um, Um, so I don't want you to leave this sermon thinking that you need to try harder or be better um, or feel really bad about yourself to the point of hopelessness Um, I want you to walk away tonight um, convinced of the beauty of relationship with Jesus Um, I want to have you just hear what you're created for and how marvelous um, the work on the crosses and the incredible power of the Holy Spirit that works in the lives of believers. Um, and I want you to see the Father's love for us. Um, and we can sing and say, like, God loves you. Um, but I think that so often we forget what that actually means and it doesn't hit our hearts. Um, so I'm praying that tonight um, you would walk away with a really deep understanding of how much God loves you. Um, yeah. So um, God really speaks to me in song, and there's this song that has come to just be a really big part of my faith, and I, it just comes back um, a lot. It's by Jonathan Ogden, and the lyrics are, you have seen the depths of my heart, and you love me all the same. You still love me, God. And I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. Um, so that's been so reassuring to me, um, because I have the tiniest knowledge of my own sin, um, and I know that my own sin is so much greater than what I realize, um, but God sees, like, every single part of me, um, and he sees, man, just how messed up I am, and he loves me fully and unconditionally all the same, um, and so, yeah, um, I just, yeah, Today, when we talk about this, um, definitely remember that he already knows exactly who you are. Um, he already knows the things that, like, as he brings to your mind, like, oh, 
Yikes. Um, he's already seen that, and he's not hiding his face from you, so you don't need to hide your face from him. Um, okay, so um, I know that this topic can be a little squirmy, and I was trying to think of why that's squirmy for us. Um, and yeah, I don't think that we can understand the depths of God's love without understanding our own sin, um, because yeah, the, the cross is everything um, in relation to Christianity, and if we don't understand our own sin, we don't understand our need for a savior, and therefore the cross is meaningless to us. Um, so this is a really important topic to like actually understand for your own life. Um, and if you're um, looking to follow Jesus, um, you need to look at what he says, and he says a lot about this. So, um, yeah, I think some hesitations that we can come with um, with this topic are um, just like a hurt from other people um, as they have, um, I don't know, challenged you in sin or um, addressed anything related to that. Um, Another hesitation we could have is that the idea of sin comes with the idea of justice and judgment, and that's a really hard thing to think about. Um, or it could also mean that when we think about sin, we have to admit what's wrong in us, and that's a hard thing to do. Um, so I want you to form a mental picture of Jesus sitting on the throne, um, just totally majestic and holy and wonderful and beautiful, um, and imagine him looking at you with eyes full of love, a greater love than you've ever known, um, and bring each of those hesitations and reactions that you have to um, sin before him and ask him to just shed light on those things as, as we speak um, and, and to cover your heart in his love. Um, okay, so to start, we're going to go to the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and all that filled it. Um, and... Yeah, I'll read from Genesis 1. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Um, to focus right now, we're just going to focus on God created mankind in his own image. Um, and we know that God is a trinity, and if you don't know much about that, ask your small group leader. Um, <laughs> but trinity being, um, he is one being um, composed of three different people, um, persons with personality and everything that a person involves, but he's one. Um, and with that, he is a community of love and relationship, um, and so to be created in his image is to be created, created as a relational being. Um, so we were created to have perfect, uninterrupted love with God. Um, in the Bible, God is described through relational terms like father and teacher and bridegroom and friend. And so we were created to know him as a child knows their father or as a bride knows her husband or as a friend knows a friend or a student knows their teacher. Um, like all of those combined, we were created for deep intimacy with our creator. Um, I'm reading this really amazing book by Andrew Murray called The Two Covenants. I highly recommend it. Um, and in it, he says, 
When God created man in his image and likeness, it was that he might have a life as like his own as it was possible for a creature to live. This was to be by God himself, living and working all in man. For this, man was to yield himself in loving dependence to the wonderful glory of being the recipient, the bearer, the manifestation of a divine life. The one secret of man's happiness was to be in a trustful surrender of his whole being to the willing and the working of God. When sin entered, this relationship to God was destroyed. When man had disobeyed, he feared God and fled from him. He no longer knew him or loved him or trusted him. Um, yeah. um, life as a human being was meant to be lived, um, loving the one who created us. Um, yeah, we can see that in like a father and a child when, when that relationship is disrupted um, and unhealthy. There's a lot of awful effects both on both people. Um, and that's the same with our father um, when that relationship is disrupted. Um, it's just chaos. <laughs> um, and it was disrupted by sin um, and is disrupted by sin continuously. Um, so um, back to the beginning again, Genesis 3. Um, it says, um, okay, so the serpent is in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he's convincing them to eat the fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Um, and the serpent says, you will not certainly die when you eat it, for God knows that when you eat it, um, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, and, and they eat it, and then their eyes are opened, and they realize they're naked, and they sew thick leaves together and made coverings for themselves, trying to cover what they've just done, and then the Lord comes and walks in the garden. So it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Um, one of the points that I really want to drive home today is that sin is separation from God, um, and it is a severing of the relationship that we were created to be in. Um, and we can see that in the very beginning, um, because God used to walk in the cool of the day with them, and suddenly they hide from him, um, and they no longer um, can be face-to-face -face with him. Um, yeah, um, we each were created for that, that walk in the garden, um, and when sin first entered the hearts of humanity, the first reaction was fear and hiding. Um, I have a picture that is just really silly. Um, this is a dog doing just what Adam and Eve did, um. <laughs> Um, yeah. So shame can do, like, really have this effect on us. It can turn our, our faces away from God and, and make us not want to face up to, to what we've done or who we are. Um, but it doesn't change that we've actually done it. And yeah, it, it just, it makes this block between us and him. Um, okay. So, Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
So why does sin mean separation from God? Um, again, think about just a relationship that we have in humans, um, a husband and wife. Um, if a husband cheats on his wife, um, there is a great, severe break of trust and security in that relationship. And I think that there are t three options. I might be wrong. Um, but you could either sweep the issue under the rug and not address it and move on, and then there's just like this gigantic elephant in the room and trust is severed and it's never fixed and it doesn't go well. Um, or you could permanently break off that relationship um, and that whole, like, the whole community of, of love and, and trust would be forever broken. Um, or um, that woman could forgive her husband um, and, and that would begin this process of rebuilding the intimacy and trust of what they once had. Um, but there's a cost, and it's the same with us and God. Um, unless God chooses to forgive, um, there will never again be that wholeness of relationship that he intended for us. Um, and that's his choice. It's not his obligation to forgive us at all. Um, just as it's not the wife's obligation to forgive her husband because he broke their covenant. Um, it's God's choice. Um, and... Yeah, what, why, again, is sin separation from God? So in my mind, sin is a way of life in which you call the shots and you dictate what is right and wrong and you decide what is worth living for and you decide what you will and will not do. Um, and essentially, it is claiming for yourself God's right to be God. Um, and if you would rather define life by your own terms and not by God's terms, um, then then God cannot have a relationship with you because those are his terms. Um, and his terms are that um, you have no other God before him. That's one of his rules of relationship, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Um, but yeah, have no other gods before me, and that includes yourself. So when I'm saying I'm going to define all of this for myself and I'm going to essentially be God, that's taking his place, and there's no longer room in, in your own heart for him to have that relationship with you. Um, Romans 1, 22 through 24. Um, what does it say? Actually, I don't have it written down. Um, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I think a big deal with this is that line that says God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. Um, we know that God is a gentleman and he does not force you or coerce you into loving him. Um, there's, there's the example of like if you could um, have like Cupid shoot someone with an arrow and make them instantly fall in love with you, would you do it? And I don't think we should because that is not real love. Um, it is forcing someone um, to love you, and it's not actually loving you for who you actually are. Um, and God wants to be chosen by you. Um, so when he gives us over to the lusts of our flesh, he is letting people choose what they want their lives to be like, no matter what the consequence. Um, and he's not ever going to force us into that relationship with him. Um, 
So, yeah, sin, sin leads us down this course that is so separate from him, and he's going to let us do it, and he's going to pursue us, and he's going to place people in our lives um, to speak truth and, and show us that there's another way, but he's going to let us go after our own heart. Um, okay, so we know sin is a violation of God's law, um, and if sin is separation with relationship with God, violating his law is violating his rules of relationship. Um, every relationship has rules. If you are my friend, you're, if you're a good friend, you're not going to lie to me or steal from me. Um, you're not going to turn your back on me for no reason. Um, if I were married, you wouldn't come and try to seduce my husband. Um, that just doesn't happen with friendship. Um, and so I was looking online for like just what other people say about rules of relationship, and I found a Psychology Today article um, that includes stuff like, don't make threats, don't go to bed with unresolved issues, don't yell in front of your kids. Um, so rules of relationship are a part of like just how we work as people. Um, and the person who wrote this article said, at the very beginning of his article, violate this, risk, this list at your own peril. Um, because if, if you don't follow these rules, there is a consequence that you will pay. Um, and this is the same with God's rules, because God's rules are descriptions of the reality of relationship with him. And, um, yeah, and also with others, like, we do, we love God and we love others, and we, when we don't follow these rules of relationship, it is at our own peril, um, and also, it's not just um, to our own peril, but it's also, um, yeah, when we break God's rules, we're breaking God's heart, um, because we know um, if God longs to be in relationship with us, and we turn our back on that, that hurts him. Um, like, we know from our human experience, when our relationships are broken, our hearts are broken, and that's the same with God. Like, when we sin, we are breaking a heart. We're not just breaking a law. Um, so what on earth are we supposed to do with that? Um, just that deep, heavy reality um, of separation from God and no way out. Um, the Bible makes it clear, and I recommend just going deep into this um, and studying it on your own, that... We cannot save ourselves by our own effort. Um, we cannot be the answer in ourselves. Um, and it is God who makes the way for us. Um, so one of the most well-known Bible verses in our culture is John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Um, so we need to go to the cross right now and figure out um, what is our hope here. Um, the cross is where God sent his son to die on our behalf. Um, it is where he took our death for himself so that we could have life. Um, and I was thinking about it, and I think I've always, like, thought death to be that very physical thing, but the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And I've already said that sin leads to separation from God, um, and so I think when Jesus was on that cross, he was separated from God, um, and he took that separation on our behalf, um, which is, 
I mean, if we're thinking about the Trinity and that the Trinity is this relationship of like the most beautiful love and then, and then God chose to separate himself from that, that's a very big deal. Um, and that shows how valuable we are to him, that he was willing to pay that cost. Um, yeah, in God's love and justice, there must be a cost for forgiveness. Um, he doesn't just say, okay, this, this one act on the cross will give total access to everybody no matter what, um, because there wouldn't be justice in that. Um, because, yeah, the Bible says that blood must cover sin. Um, so in the Old Testament, animals were offered as sacrifices to cover for the sins of the people. Um, and Jesus' death is that once and for all final sacrifice. That's another thing you could study on your own. Um, but, um, yeah, God decided to give his life for ours, and we didn't ask for it, but he did it um, so that we could have the life and that, yeah, real relationship with him that we were created to have. Um, Also, just, just another thought that I had today was um, I've always imagined, like, the toll that it took on Jesus to die on the cross, but I never really thought about the toll that it took on the Holy Spirit and the Father to be separated from that third member of the Trinity. Um, and, yeah, like, you can think about the pain of, like, a parent losing their child. Um, and, yeah, I, I imagine the pain of that loss was so much more. Um, yeah, so we, we have to remember that it was only through the cross that the price of our forgiveness is to be paid. Um, and God did it because he cares about us and he wants us to walk in freedom and life and friendship with him. Um, yeah. Another Andrew Murray quote from The Two Covenants says, God's great object in salvation is to get possession of the heart. The heart is the real life. With the heart, a man loves and wills and acts. The heart makes the man. God made man's heart for his own dwelling, that in it he might reveal his love and glory. God sent Christ to accomplish a redemption by which man's heart could be won back to him. Nothing but that could satisfy God. And that is what is accomplished when the Holy Spirit makes the heart of God's child what it should be. The whole work of Christ's redemption, his atonement and victory, his exaltation and intercession, his glory at the right hand of God, all these are only preparatory to what the chief triumph of grace, of his grace, the renewal of the heart to be the temple of God. And that brings us straight back to this relationship because we're created to, and, and in the new creation, when, when Jesus is raised from the dead and all who believe in him are made a new creation, um, we are now temples of the Holy Spirit where he can actually dwell with us and actually have relationship with us. Um, yeah. <clears throat> um, so the chief triumph of grace, as Andrew Murray says, um, isn't just this like work on the cross for those three days, um, but it's this continuous um, making of us into people who will actually obey those rules of relationship um, and who 
will not break them and who will be um, able to walk in holiness. Um, so um, Nate defines holiness um, in this way. He says to be holy is to draw into your relationship with Christ in an all-consuming way so that it becomes the ultimate concern of every expression of life. To be holy is to have every barrier removed in order to live fully into your relationship with God. Um, so if we go back into our previous example of um, the husband having an affair on his wife, and if she chooses to for forgive her husband, um, and they move on and start rebuilding their relationship, but then he goes and has more affairs, um, that relationship is just going to continue to shatter because though she's forgiven him, he hasn't changed at all. Um, and that trust and like the very basis of their relationship is just going to disintegrate. Um, and that's the same with God again. Um, when he forgives us of our sin, there is an opportunity and a necessity to step out of that sin and walk in his spirit and in his, his ways that he says is good. Um, that's said in Romans 6. Um, I'm just going to do 1 through 2, I think. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Where those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Um, he says later on, um, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Um, so, yeah, how could we keep living in sin when God commands um, otherwise, when it's such a dramatic rebellion against what he says is good and we've already seen that he is good in offering this to us um, so God commands be holy as I am holy and I want to know how we do that um, okay so we have two parties in this relationship with God it's us and him um, and both have something to do with this walk of holiness for us um, we have this responsibility to live out this this intimacy with him and follow these rules of relationship with him. In 1 John 3, 1 through 3, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Skip down a little. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Um, so these verses, specifically the last one, purify themselves just as he is, is pure. Um, that shows that we have responsibility here. Um, it's not just like, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then I'm made perfect, and I never have to do any work to do anything at all. Um, it's that we, we have to take very intentional steps um, to listen to God and to follow him and to walk in his ways rather than our own ways or the ways of the world. Um, but um, I think these verses make it really clear um, that all of this, purify themselves just as he is pure, can only come from that basis that we are loved children of God. Um, because if we attempt to obey God's rules without that knowledge, um, we're right back into the beginning trying to earn our salvation. Um, not knowing that we already have God's approval. Um, so our motivation in seeking holiness must be love. 
um, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, like, I can speak in the tongues of angels and give all that I have to poor to the poor and all of these other things. But if I don't have love, I don't have anything, basically. Um, so if we're chasing after holiness and we're not doing it out of a love for God, it is also useless. Um, we run the risk of becoming whitewashed walls um, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Um, yeah, to pursue holiness out of love is to long for more and more of Jesus and um, to cast away sin in order to be near to him. Um, yeah, to pursue goodness and righteousness and holiness is pleasing to God. Um, and yeah, he promises that when we seek him with all of our hearts, we will find him. Um, so yeah, there's, there's an opportunity for us here to see the pursuit of holiness as a pursuit of more and more of him, seeking after his face and his relationship and knowing more about him. Um, so we do have a very great role to play in our own holiness and the casting away of, of all of that sin that keeps us from the goodness of relationship with him. Um, however, we also know that there's God um, who has a much greater role for us. Um, he is the power through which all of this is accomplished. Um, and yeah, just like without love, our efforts would be useless. Without the Holy Spirit, our efforts would be useless. Um, so yeah, Andrew Murray in the book says like, if, if we started our, our life in Christ by the work of the cross, by the power of God, how would we ever expect that to continue? Like how could we expect that to continue by our own strength and power? Um, it must still be him um, that is doing it. Um, so we know that, that it has to be God's power, but we so often fail to actually lean on God's power and ask for his power and walk in his strength. We just so often lean on our own strength and get really frustrated because it's not working. And, and that's just another opportunity for us to see, um, his forgiveness and him leading us back into the way that he has laid out for us in relationship with him. Um, Elizabeth, you can come back up. Um, this verse has been really comforting for me in the past two years. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Um, in my version that I have at home, it says he will surely do it. Um, and that's been mind-blowing for me over these past years because I can get so frustrated at, like, looking at myself and where I'm at and, like, thinking, like, I want to be here, and I'm here, and I don't know how to get here, and it is so comforting to me to know that God is in control of my walk with him. Um, and yeah, he's the one that is working his redemption in me. He is the one that is teaching me what it actually means to love him. Um, and he is the one doing that work. Um, if we jump back to 1 John 3, it says that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Um, 
and we can have that crazy confidence that when we actually follow God, someday we will be just like him in all of his beauty and splendor and loveliness. And that's not our own work. It's him doing that in us as we take steps to actually listen to his Holy Spirit as he prompts us to act. Um, So to close, um, I just want to jump back to that image that we had at the beginning of Jesus on the throne. Um, You guys can um, imagine him sitting on the throne and you're at his feet, or you can imagine him on the cross um, and you're at his feet again, or you can imagine him sitting right next to you or holding you like a father holds his child, whatever is most helpful for you as we respond tonight. Um, But... Yeah, as you look at him, remember to look into his eyes and see how much he loves you. See the way he looks at you um, and ask him um, to lead you into deeper relationship with him. Um, Ask him to highlight the things in your heart that are breaking his rules of relationship and breaking his heart and ask him to show you um, how to step out of that, how to step out of the chains of sin and into the freedom of life with him and ask for his power to do that. And, yeah, that takes a lot of humility. Um, It takes laying down your pride and asking for him to be real with you and and to be real with yourself as well. Um, And then um, all of this really is with the preface that Jesus did die on the cross. So if you don't believe that, I just really want you to just know that God truly loves you and as you've listened, I want you to, like, think back on what a relationship with God could actually look like for you, um, and ask him to show you what he wants to do in your life, um, and and the love that he wants to welcome you into as he welcomes you into that community of love that he already has. Yeah, Lord Jesus, would you come and speak, um, God, draw us into your presence. We know you're here, God. Would you just open our eyes to see you? Um, Lord, we long to know you more and more, God. Um, We need you, Lord. Would you speak? Jesus, the life you give to us is so sweet. God, we praise you that we get to live forever discovering how wonderful you are. God, would you lead us in your truth? Would you fill us with a longing and a hunger for more of you? Lord, we want more of you no matter what the cost is the cry of our hearts. It's the only way we will will ever be satisfied. Lord, you are our portion and our prize. We thank you, God.